So today we continue, well actually we start a new series in the book of Habakkuk, and this will be a seven-week sermon series um, in, this, in this very small book. I think there are many familiar verses in this book. People have many favorite verses, but it's not a book that you, you hear preached much. Uh, the book of Habakkuk records God's answers to a prophet uh, during a time of global uncertainty, of economic recession, um, there was social instability. Um, similar to what we are going through and what we experience in our own day and age. And people in those days were like those today who wake up every morning with, with different fears and different anxieties in their hearts. Even those without degrees in economics are becoming familiar with such terms as a stock market crash and default and risk indicators. Maybe you've heard of AI, artificial intelligence, and jet, uh, chat GPT. Um, all these different things that create um, anxieties and instabilities. And of course, with this anxiety spikes as people wonder about the future and their, their job um, securities, leads to discouragement, which often leads to, to increase in depression and unfortunately even, even suicide. And the church is not immune to this swing that is generated by these events and by our global economy. And I pray that as we study Habakkuk, it will be a source of encouragement, it will be a source of inspiration, but it will also be a guide for facing these situations that are really beyond our control. And Habakkuk teaches that though we cannot always change our circumstances, we can change our attitude towards them. And God wants us to pay attention to what is going on but not to worry, for he is not missing from this time in which we have been called to live. He is still very much alive and very much in control. And what we often see as a tragedy, we need to remember, God sees as a great opportunity, or he gives it to us, he presents it to us as an opportunity. With people no longer able to find their, their comfort and their security in the things of this world, people are prone to look for answers elsewhere. And we pray that they will find the answers in the church and people like you and me who are equipped with the Word of God to be able to speak truth into their lives. And Habakkuk will answer many questions that come from our friends in different circles in society in which we have been raised. And that is our prayer for all of us as we go through this book of Habakkuk. So please stand with me. We will read just the first Four verses this morning in Habakkuk chapter 1. Habakkuk chapter 1. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me, strife and contention rise. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, and so justice goes forth perverted. Let's pray. Lord, please, we ask that your Spirit would teach us this morning. 
Lord, this is a very relevant passage that all of us need to hear today. Here are questions that all of us have asked, being asked by a prophet nonetheless. Please, Lord, help us to apply. May your Spirit show us how we can apply these truths to the situations that we face in our everyday um, going-ons. And we pray that you would help us to have a greater confidence in yourself, help us to have a greater confidence in your character, and help us to know how we can go through these difficult situations, even confidently speaking to you our fears and concerns, trusting, Lord, that you will answer our prayers in your good timing. And give us that faith, Lord, to wait upon you. Give us that faith to trust that your ways are perfect. And give us that faith, Lord, to humbly accept your answers as we wait to hear from you. So we pray, Lord, please teach us and mold us and make us more to be like your son, Jesus. We ask in his precious name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. So have you ever finished watching the evening news with all the, the violence and the injustice in the world? And in frustration, perhaps you've asked, why isn't God doing something? Why do the, the wicked and the dishonest people prosper? And every Christian wrestles with two problems. Why does God allow the evil to prosper while the righteous suffer? Why doesn't God answer my prayer sometimes? And we especially wrestle with these two questions when they, when they become personal, isn't it? When an evil person is, is harming us or influencing us in a bad way or even somebody that we, we love. And we pray, but God doesn't answer our prayers when we want it and it becomes a very tough season for us. I'm sure you've all experienced that in, in one way or another. And we see that experience right here in the book of Habakkuk, right here in chapter 1. My first point this morning is in verse 1 and 2. We see Habakkuk's cry. We see Habakkuk's cry. In verse 1, we are introduced to Habakkuk the, the prophet. And the name Habakkuk means to wrestle or it means to embrace. And that's the title of my message this morning, Wrestling with God. And as usually is the case, the name of the, the book or the name of the prophet has something to do with the message of the, the prophet. And no one knows for certain the exact time of, of Habakkuk's ministry. Uh, but the most likely scenario is that he wrote this book just after the, the, the young um, godly king Josiah was killed in battle. And then the wicked king Jehoiakim had succeeded him. And under King Josiah, the nation of Judah had gone through many wonderful reforms. Under Josiah's rule, he had purged the nation of, of the, the, the idols and the altars to the false gods. And remember, the book of the law was found that was in the temple of all places. They found it in the temple. And Josiah restored the, the Passover celebration. And the word of God was once again read and taught in Israel. But when Josiah died in battle and King Jehoiakim takes over, all of the reforms of the nation are really erased. 
And evil is once again committed blatantly in the, the Lord's sight. And it was hard to understand why God would allow this wonderful king, Josiah, to be killed by the Egyptian army. He was only 39 years old at the time of his death, and he easily could have served the nation for another 25 to, to 30 more years. But it's in this context with the loss of King Josiah and the decline of the morality of the nation that Habakkuk engages in a, in a dialogue with the Lord, which is recorded for us here in the book of Habakkuk. And notice Habakkuk's cry to the Lord in verse 2. He says, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear, or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Habakkuk has been praying for his people. He's been praying for the morality of the nation, but it seems that nothing is happening. It seems that nothing is changing. And don't forget that these are supposed to be the people of God, this is God's chosen nation. This is not a worldly, pagan nation, yet they are acting very much like it. These people who are supposed to be the holy people of God are, are filled with violence. They are filled with wicked sins, and especially injustice, which we read about. And Habakkuk says that all that he sees is destruction. All he sees is violence. All he sees is this strife and this contention. And he even says the law is, is paralyzed. And the righteous are surrounded by wicked people. Everything is perverted. And Habakkuk's cry is simply, What is going on around here, Lord? How long are you going to continue to let this immorality carry on? Why is nothing being done? And how can you idly sit by and let these things happen? And Habakkuk, in his questions, he's just being honest with the Lord as he's, as he's talking to the Lord. This is, him, this is him praying. And some people think that you know, men of faith or women of faith never question God. They just sit and they wait faithfully and patiently. But I think one thing we can learn from Habakkuk is that this is a misconception. Those who trust in God can and do question God. The difference is that men or women of faith are willing to listen and wait for God for the answer in His time. But have you ever asked these similar questions? I'm sure you have. I think all of us have encountered the how long question and even the why questions at some point during our discipleship journey. And something happens that causes us to wonder what God is doing. What we are experiencing or witnessing does not correspond to what we read about in the Bible or about our, our righteous God. And we want to know why this is happening. We want to know why God is tolerating such, such wrongdoing. And Habakkuk is not the only person, the only godly person to ask these questions to the Lord. Turn with me to Revelation quickly, Revelation chapter 6. The Apostle John asks God similar questions. Look at Revelation chapter 6 verse, verse 9. 
He says, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. And they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Turn to Psalm quickly, Psalm chapter 13. Here again, King David asks a similar question, Psalm chapter 13. Look at verse 1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Similar questions, isn't it? Questions that we all have asked. Why is it that God allows certain things to happen? Why does God allow terrorists to, to attack? Why does God allow wars to happen? Why does He allow so many injustices and atrocities to take place at a global level as well as as well as our personal level in our own homes. Our prayers have been sincere. Our prayers have often been zealous. We have cried out to God, but it seems like nothing is happening. It seems like our prayers are not being answered. And like the prophet Habakkuk, many are asking this question, how long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? We pray, for example, sometimes for years, for God to save a loved one. And surely God is concerned about people loving Him and embracing Him as their Savior. Surely He's concerned about our prayers for the salvation of a loved one. Why aren't those prayers answered? Why does God seem to be inactive? And how long, O Lord, will you remain silent? This is a very important question. Look at the next point we see in verse 3. We see Habakkuk's question here in verse 3. First, he cries to the Lord, how long? But the next question he asks in verse 3 is, why? Why? So we see in verse 2 that the, that the prophet is discouraged, but here he starts to doubt the Lord. And I think he starts to, to sin. Because he's doubting the very character and he's doubting the very motive of God. So it's okay to, to question the Lord, but, but here he's starting to doubt the very character and the motive of the Lord. He sees injustice around him. He sees oppression of the poor. He sees idolatry. He sees distrust everywhere that he looks. And basically what Habakkuk is saying is, Lord, if you are an all-wise and all-living and all-powerful God, why do you allow evil? Why don't you do something about it? Now, after all, Israel is your elect nation. And Habakkuk reasons like many other people do. Either God has the power and he does not care, or he cares, but he does not have the power. And of course, both reasonings are wrong. Both reasonings are, are false. Because we know that God does care, and we know that God does have the power. But we need to understand as we heard even last week, that God has a plan. He has a purpose. And what Habakkuk was doing, he was accusing God of inactivity, 
and even inability to change things. And how many of us have said, why do you allow so many wrong things to be done in your name? And why, God, do you allow these false prosperity gospels and preachers in the church? Why do you allow your church to, to be split up and divided? And why don't you strike blasphemers within the church? I've asked that a few times. Why haven't you answered my prayers for the salvation of a loved one? And, and we ask, why, why, why? With distrust in our hearts. With doubts. John MacArthur, in his sermon on, on Habakkuk, he says, Many of us find coming into our lives problems that we cannot understand, sorrows that we cannot cope with, various temptations that tend to make us doubt God and wonder if we really saved, or wonder if God really cares at all, or wonder if the faith that we hold to so strongly could really have a, a failing or a weak link in it. And as Satan tempts us to doubt God, as Satan tempts us to, to doubt God, to undermine our faith, and then Satan tempts the unsaved by making Christianity look ridiculous. It's an old, old tactic of Satan to present a ridiculous Christianity to the world, to try to make Christians look like stupidity. And he's done it all through history. And I think MacArthur is, is right. I think he hits the nail on the head here. You know, too often we have these questions and we forget that Satan is the enemy. Not our friends, not our family, not our church, not our spouse, not our children. Satan is the enemy. He is the accuser of the brethren. And he will do whatever he needs to do to make us doubt the faith that we have that is grounded in the very facts of the, the Bible, the very gospel of Jesus Christ. He will try and make us doubt the very foundation of our faith. Think of all the questions that you've heard from people in your work or questions that you've heard from, from children at school. Does God really exist? Why don't you believe in evolution? Why can't God be a woman? Well, wasn't Jesus just a prophet of God? Is Jesus really God? If Jesus really is God, what about all the other religions that, that worship God? I'm sure you can relate to at least one of those questions. Satan planting doubt in our minds. The working definition of doubt is to lack confidence or to consider unlikely. And think of that in Satan's mission. He wants you to lack confidence in God. He wants you to consider God unlikely. Unlikely to save you from your troubles. Unlikely to love you. Unlikely to care for you. And the very first expression of doubt in the Bible, remember, is in Genesis chapter 3. When Satan tempts Eve. God had given a clear command regarding the tree of the knowledge of, of good and evil and had been very clear about the consequences of, of disobedience. And then Satan introduced doubt into Eve's mind when he said, did God really say you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? He wanted her to lack confidence in, in God's command. 
He wanted her to lack confidence in, in God's holiness. When she affirmed God's command, including the consequences, Satan replied with a denial, with a lie, with a, with a stronger statement of doubt. He says, you will not surely die. A blatant lie. And doubt is a tool of Satan to make us lack confidence in God's word and then to question his judgment. Are we really going to suffer consequences of sexual immorality? Is there really such a thing as STDs or HIV? Is my family really going to be ruined if I, if I fall into temptation and run into the arms of another man or another woman? Will they really happen? Surely I can get away with these things? These are seeds of doubt, folks. The tool of Satan to make us lack confidence in the judgments of God, in the truth of God's word, in God himself. And the remedy for doubt is faith. The answer to overcome doubt is faith. And what does Romans 10 tell us about faith? That faith comes by hearing. Oprah Winfrey, right? Faith comes by hearing. The word of God. The word of God. In order to stop doubting, trust must be built. But it's hard to trust a stranger, isn't it? Or even a, a, an occasional acquaintance. When salvation occurs and the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our, in our hearts, it's just the beginning of this lifelong journey of getting to know God. And how do we get to know Him? By reading the Scriptures. The primary way of knowing God is reading the Bible, folks. One thing that the Bible makes abundantly clear is that God is trustworthy, that God is faithful, that God is indeed good. And as we fill our minds with the proofs of God's power and of God's love throughout history, we are better equipped to overcome doubt and to answer the skeptics and to give a reasonable answer for those who are looking for hope, who need these answers answered, these questions answered. My third point we see in verse 4. We see Habakkuk's conclusion in this first portion in verse 4, Habakkuk says, So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so injustice goes forth perverted. And literally what Habakkuk is saying is that the law was, was frozen, or the, or the law was, was chilled. And in all of Judea, the Mosaic law was having no effect. The, the law of God was, was frozen. And wickedness, of course, had had numbed the word of God. The law was there, but it was not enforced. The law of God had no authority. It had no effect in people's lives. Because of unrighteous judges, corrupt leaders, the law had become ineffective. And in our own day and age, we can, we can relate to that, can't we? We often see how laws get perverted. We see how laws get twisted and Laws get set aside. We see murder. We see, we see theft. We see prostitution. We see 
illegal drugs, we see tax evasion, we see child abuse and thousands of other social ills that seem to spread like wildfire in our societies. And the human heart away from God and away from His law is capable of all kinds of lawlessness, is capable of all sorts of wickedness. And our situation and our circumstances today are similar to what Habakkuk saw and to what he experienced. We stand today in the 21st century, and we can look at God with almost the same expression in our, in our brain and in our mind and say, God, why is it like it is? Why is it that we constantly cry out about these things and, and nothing, nothing ever happens? They only seem to get worse. So the situation and the circumstances weren't very good. Remember here in verse 1 to 4, we have Habakkuk's prayer as he, as he wrestles with God. And the Lord doesn't answer Habakkuk's prayer straight away. If you want to know the Lord's answer, then you have to come back next week, okay? I'm not going to tell you today. Come back next week. But before we go, I do think there are some important lessons that we can learn about prayer from Habakkuk that I want to share with you as we as we conclude the sermon. I think the first lesson, number one, is we need to be honest with God in our prayers. We need to be honest with God in our prayers. We are not going to grow in our faith in the Lord if we are not honest with our faith and our thoughts about God. Do not expect to be able to understand or explain the mind or the actions of God. There are things that happen in life that we are not going to understand that must that we must take to God in prayer, that we must pray about. And Habakkuk shows us that we have and we can have these honest conversations with Him, with our Creator. God can handle our raw emotions. He can handle our, our raw thoughts. And it's okay to ask God what is going on. It is appropriate to, to turn to God in prayer and tell Him that we do not understand. There are many events in my life that I could say I don't understand what is happening. But there is an important aspect of Habakkuk's faith that we must not overlook. Habakkuk talks to God about these things. Habakkuk does not leave God. He doesn't turn away from God. He doesn't run away from Him. And so often, that can be the response that occurs when trials seem to crush in our lives, isn't it? We simply take a step back instead of leaning into God. And we simply give up on God. And we think He's not there, so I'm not going to talk to Him. I'm not going to read my Bible. Rather than give up on God, talk to Him, pray to Him, beseech Him. Tell Him what you are feeling. Tell Him what you are experiencing. Tell Him the pain that you have. Tell God about how you are struggling, how you are perplexed. Consider the many Psalms of David and the other writers who speak to God with such raw emotion. Pray through Psalm 38 and some of the other wonderful Psalms that pray to the Lord. Psalm 38 says, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have sunk into me and your hand has come down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. 
Can you hear the raw emotions here of David? My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I'm utterly bowed down and prostrate all the day I go about mourning. For my sides are filled with burning and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble. I am crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. O Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. Be honest with the Lord in your prayers. And secondly, pray until you pray. Pray until you pray. You heard me correctly. Pray until you pray. Charles Spurgeon, he once said, pray until you pray. Pray to be helped to pray and do not give up praying because you cannot pray. For it is when you think you cannot pray, that is when you are praying. We may not fully understand the function of prayer. And too often we think of prayer as just a request line to God. Uh, sometimes our prayers are like grocery lists, isn't it? We ask Him for stuff or things to happen and then, and then we wait for it to happen. By the way, this is an incorrect view of prayer. God does not answer our request simply because we command it or we want it to happen. And Habakkuk has been praying to God but has not received the answer that he was looking for from God. We can have a false expectation sometimes of prayer that if I offer prayer, God is compelled to answer my prayer. That God is like a little genie in a bottle that I, that I rub when I want something and poof, out he comes and he gives me my, my, my three wishes. That is the wrong view of prayer. When we have times of doubt, we need to pray. When we have times of rejoicing, we need to pray. Rather than thinking of prayer as a, as a request line, we need to see prayer as a dialogue, as a dialogue with God. Prayer is the best solution when we do not understand. The most useful tool we have is prayer. And the scriptures are not going to give us answers as to why or how long we are in this specific trial in our lives. Prayer is the tool to communicate to God about what is happening, to express our troubles, to ask our questions, and then, and then to wait on the Lord and trust the Lord that He will answer in His time. These moments of perplexity and questioning are opportunities for us to draw closer to the Lord in these times, we become aware that we are not all-powerful, that we are not all-knowing, and that we are certainly not in control of these situations. We are put back into our place, and we are made to realize how small we truly are, and we need to rely upon the one who is almighty, the creator God. You know, when we were flying over India recently and looking over the vastness of that, of that country, I was reminded how, how big and how awesome God is. You know, I did not sit back in my airplane seat, and we had a little propeller plane at one point flying domestically, and I didn't think, well, look how big we are in this wonderful airplane. It was the opposite. Look how small we are in this airplane. Look how tiny we are compared to how big God is. Look at what He's created. And I took a moment to overlook and soak all that I could see into my eyes and all that was there, 30,000 feet above the ground. 
And it was a moment when, when you feel small and you see God as, as big. And that's what prayer helps us do. You know, when we don't go through storms or, or hurricanes thinking how wonderful we are, how great we are, how able we are. We call out to the Lord, don't we? Difficult times have the same impact in our lives. We stop being dependent on ourselves. We stop seeing ourselves as something great and we turn to the one who is truly great. We cannot approach God or begin to understand God until we take in these moments of smallness and we turn to the Lord in complete obedience. And Habakkuk is not taking matters into his own hands here at all. He is praying to the Almighty God to act. Thirdly and lastly, we need to trust God in our prayers. That might seem weird to say, but I think the obvious needs to be stated, right? When we pray, we need to trust the Lord. And prayer alone proves that we can trust God. Now, Oswald Chambers, another famous Christian author, he said, We look upon prayer as a means of getting things for ourselves, but the Bible idea of prayer is that we may get to know God Himself. That we may get to know God Himself. Now, when we pray, we can ask God requests, but make sure you pray, Lord, Thy will be done. Not my will. Pray, Thy will be done. Trust the Lord that His will is in fact better than your will. Trust the sovereignty of God that He is ruling and that He is reigning. Believe that God is all-knowing. Believe that He is all-powerful and He is able. He's not being inactive or unable. He very much is because He's all-powerful. Never forget that God cares about you. And has shown that he cares about you on the cross. Trust that the Lord loves his children. And he never will forsake his children. And as scripture tells us, nothing can separate us from his love. The cross is a perpetual reminder to us of how much God loves us. Don't forget when life doesn't make sense that God has done everything to prove His love for us, that we would remain faithful to Him. God is not trying to destroy us. God is not trying to personally punish us for our sins. God is not shooting His lightning bolts of wrath upon us. God is not slapping us with payback for our errors. Our diseases and syndromes are not because God is trying to exact some revenge on us. Whatever happens to us, Remember the cross. Remember the cross of Calvary, where Jesus has paid for our sins. Where the worst thing that could possibly have happened to us has been taken away because of God's grace. We have been redeemed from the terrible penalty of spending eternity in the lake of fire because of Christ's ransom that has been paid. God loves your family more than you do. Remember that. He loves your wife more than you do. He loves your husband more than you do. He loves your children more than you do. When suffering and when life does not make sense, look to the cross 
as a reminder of how good God is. Look to the cross as the eternal monument of God's love and His mercy for you. Life does not make sense without the cross of Calvary. God has not promised to give us all the answers that we want when we want. But God has given us the cross as the answer of His love in spite of all these confusions that we may face. Trust God that He loves you. And trust God that He has a plan, that He is in control. Don't believe the lies of the devil. Trust the character of God. Father, thank You for the honest thoughts and prayers that have been recorded for us here in the book of Habakkuk by this prophet. Father, we pray that you would teach us the sermon series of how we can trust you more, of how that we can draw closer to you in times of our trouble. Teach us, Lord, how we can have more faith. And we pray, Lord, please forgive the lack of our faith, Lord. Forgive us for being faithless at times where we have fallen into doubt when we have fallen into sin, when we have doubted your character and your goodness, forgive us, Lord, we pray. And help us, Lord, as we learn today, to overcome our fears with faith by reading your word, by loving your word, by drawing close to you. And we know, Lord, as your scriptures say, you will draw close to us. So please, Lord, give us a greater appetite for your, for your scriptures that we may get to know you the very love letter that you sent for us so that we can have this close walk with you. And may we honor you, Lord, in all of our decisions and even in our thoughts and especially in our prayers, Lord. May you be exalted and may we point people to Christ in this very trying time that we live. Lord, for your glory, we pray that people would come to know you and come to honor you and come to serve you as the King of Kings, the one who has conquered death the one who has risen from the grave, the one who has overcome sin and defeated Satan. May we point them to the one who makes all things good in his time. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.